Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. We've gone through Advent, and now we are continuing into the rest of Luke, and today we are going to be in Luke chapter 3. Now, in case you were wondering, well, what happened to Luke chapter 2? I'll tell you what happened in Luke chapter 2. As I was preparing the, for the message this week, I was really excited because I was like, okay, here we go. We're, con- we're just continuing on to the book of Luke, and Luke 2 just seems so natural. But I wanted to make mention of one thing. One thing that we probably will not do, in fact, I know we will not do, between Ben and myself and who's ever speaking on stage, we're not going to go through every single verse, We actually don't think that that's necessary at this point in time. What we want to do is we want to provide as much of a skeleton as possible to help lead and guide everyone through this book without having to go through every single verse. We're going to provide enough dots to the image to help you connect the dots to create an image of what's going on. Without having to go through, there's, we just, it, we'll be here for 40 weeks, which maybe isn't a bad thing, but we, the way we've planned this out is between now and Easter, we'll be walking through. So we're going to skip around every now and then, but we invite you, we invite you to join us and read through all of those, those different parts that we don't hit on. Write down those questions, and then if you are a part of a life group, come with those questions to be answered and asked and discussed and a whole bunch of different things. So this week... We're going to skip Luke chapter 2, unfortunately, because I was really excited. I was, I was looking through the scripture, and I'm like, this is going to be so great. And come Tuesday, I'm like, wow, the, the sermon's just kind of riding itself. I just felt really good. I felt like, wow, the Spirit's, he's being really gracious to me this week. I just feel so confident in what I'm going to preach on in Luke chapter 2. And as I got through reading it a couple times, I'm like, wait a minute. This is, this is too easy. Why, why, why am I so confident with what, I'm, with what I think is going to be shared this week? And I was thinking about it and thinking about it, and I'm like, oh, man. I preached on Luke chapter 2 last year on the, on the Sunday after Christmas. I'm like, I can't do that again. Now, I've heard a lot of people say, well, no one's going to remember that you preached. No one's going to critique what you said last time. You could just give the same sermon. I'm like, that's probably true. But there is one individual, Greg Merrill. He takes vigorous notes. And I just knew that if I preached on Luke chapter 2 again, he'd come to me and call me in the middle of the week saying, hey, man, you did it all wrong. You said this last time. Now you said this this time. And so, Greg, thank you for keeping me accountable and not taking the, the, easy, the easy way out. But we're in, we're in Luke chapter 3. And as we continue to dive in, I just wanted to address, I wanted to address this, this practice of reading scripture that we've, been, that we've been honing in on. In the year 2023, this is a, f- a fresh year, a blank slate. But as a pastor, one of the things that is most commonly told to me is that when someone reads scripture, they just don't understand. Or when someone reads scripture, they, they don't understand uh, how it's applicable to them. They don't have the historical context, they, the, the words, the names, whatever is being said, and they get discouraged. And I, I get discouraged as well. But in the year 2023, I would love to, to issue forth a challenge, an invitation, that in the midst of being discouraged when we read scripture, and, and uh, let's be honest, sometimes it's, we, we're just bored. We open up scripture and you know, if we ever have trouble falling asleep, it's when we read scripture, it's bam, we're asleep. One of the things I would like to challenge this church 
this body, myself even, is to have the understanding that when we approach Scripture, when we approach the Bible with sincere and faithful hearts, regardless of how we feel, regardless if we understand, regardless if we're taking anything out specifically regarding that one particular piece of Scripture, we can know that God is working. That God is moving through that piece of scripture. There are so many times to uh, even I will, will open a piece of, piece of scripture and I'll be just like, I, it's not hitting me today. I'm just not feeling it. Or there will be days where I'm like, I really don't feel like reading my Bible. Yes, even a pastor has these struggles. Where I just don't feel it. I don't understand it. I don't know what's going on. But there's one thing that we do know. That the word of God, the physical word of God, Logos, we are told, is living and active. And so when we approach Scripture, regardless of how we feel, if we just take the obedient step of saying, God, I don't feel like reading. God, I don't understand what I'm reading. God, I feel discouraged in the midst of my reading. If we approach Scripture saying, God, would you be in the midst of this reading, regardless of what I'm understanding, we can know with certainty that it is living and active, and in some way, whether we understand it or not, it is sanctifying us more and more, making us more and more like Christ. You don't have to feel it, understand it, or even know what you're reading, but the more and more you dive into it, the more and more God will continue sanctifying you through his spirit. That's my challenge to all of us. For the year 2023, let us not become discouraged, let us not become bored and say that's our limit, but we begin to have this understanding, no, God works despite us being excited about it. God works in the midst of us still being bored, in the midst of our lack of understanding. Amen? 2023 can be one of the most amazing years of our lives if we continue taking steps forward in the midst of not feeling like pursuing. And the fact of the matter is, and we're going to be discussing this today, as we approach 2023, we are all seeking one thing, freedom. Whether we re realize it or not, whether we recognize it or not, we are all seeking some form of freedom. And I'm not talking about freedom of religion. I'm not talking about the freedom that this country um, allows us. I'm not talking about freedom from persecution. I'm not even talking about freedom from, from the attacks of our peers or the pressures of this world or, or a bad workplace or a good workplace. I'm not talking about that kind of freedom. Because at the end of it all, there is a still greater freedom to be had. Can you, can you imagine that with me? A, a freedom that is greater than freedom of religion. A freedom to have all of these rights. Because there are Christians around the world today who are experiencing a freedom greater than Christians here in America. My goal for us today is to have an understanding that there is something that takes us beyond circumstantial freedom. And it's understanding that there's a freedom from self. A freedom from the pressures, a freedom from the obligations, a freedom from uh, just trying to climb the ladder of having this great reputation or having all of the answers, or having everything figured out. A freedom from having to lead these perfect lives every single day and when we don't then we're completely back down to ground zero. There's a freedom from 
self. And I believe as we approach Luke chapter 3, we're going to see what it is to discover freedom from self. A freedom that then leads into everything else as we pursue after Christ. And I'm going to tell you right now, the answer is this. Repentance. Now, it's this big Christian word that oftentimes gets thrown out there, but do we truly understand what repentance is? Well, essentially it's this. It's coming to an understanding that you and I are sinful beings. We're broken, tainted. We are corrupt in our very inherent nature. And when we begin to understand that we cannot trust our inner being, we cannot trust our thoughts or our desires because we are, in fact, corrupt and sinful and broken, all of a sudden we no longer want to pursue self. All of a sudden we're looking elsewhere. We're looking beyond ourselves to discover what is out there for me. And repentance takes us from walking this way after all of our desires and turns us 180 and takes us pursuing after God himself. There is only one route with repentance. Because the fact of the matter is, whether we turn from our desires going this way or this way or this way, all routes this way lead back to self. It's when we turn 180 degrees by the power of God working on our lives and pursue after God and his desires for us that we begin to experience the greatest freedom ever offered us. So we jump in today to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says this, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Ituria and Tronconitis, and Lysanias Tetrarch of Abilene, quick note here, when you guys get discouraged because you don't understand names, just read them really quickly. Really confidently. No one's going to question anything you say. Just right through it. And if you can't pronounce it still, just make up a name. Mr. L, Mr. P, Mr. H, we're good. Don't get stuck there. God's still working even in the midst of these weird names. Verse 2. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now I'm going to start treating you guys like my youth. If you have a hard copy of the Bible, please underline, please circle, make notes. Do something to draw your attention to this because this is incredibly important. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around Jordan. Around the Jordan. Jordan is simply a river. The Jordan River. He went into all the country around the Jordan. Preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. These are the first three verses. And here we begin to understand, we begin to see what John is coming to do. We've learned who John is. John is the miracle child of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the child that was never supposed to be born, yet he was born. And here's what he is doing as he's preparing the way for Christ himself. He is issuing forth what the word of God has come to him, saying, hey, this is going to be the baptism that you proclaim to the world. And it should be noted, the word of God, word in this context, it's not, it's not this. It's not the physical written word of God. It is the spoken word of God. God spoke to John as he was ordained to receive to then go proclaim this baptism as the last prophet before Christ. 
And he's proclaiming this baptism out in the wilderness, this baptism of repentance. The reason this is so important, because at this point in time in culture, in first century Judaism, there was baptism. Baptism was going on. But it was a very official, legalistic, ritual activity in which people would travel all the way to Jerusalem. And before they approached the temple, they'd go into these big baths in order to be cleaned. It was a ritual thing, in order to be cleaned before they could approach God. But the fact of the matter is, it was one of those things where people would come and they would get cleaned. And they'd say, okay, we're still good. They would get cleaned, they would approach God, they would do the check mark off the to-do list, and then they would continue doing their own thing for the rest of the days. It was very official, very behavior modification-esque, if you will. As long as you look the part, then you're good. As long as you look the part, then you're good. It had nothing to do with the heart. It was all about checking the to-do box. And John says, no, 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 no. This isn't about a legalistic ritual thing. In fact, it's not that, and so much more, I'm going to remove you from the temple scenario. I'm going to remove baptism from Jerusalem. I'm going to remove anything official about it. And we're going to go all the way out into the wilderness. We're talking the boondocks. We're talking, this is where the crazy people are, the rednecks, where everybody in culture is like, no, 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 that's not the place where you get clean. And they're going to come all the way out here. And John's like, look, this isn't about the to-do list. This isn't about checking off a to-do box. This isn't about anything that you can achieve for yourself to become temporarily clean. This is a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of of sins. Not a temporary cleaning. This deals with the heart. Repentance. Turning away from sin. He was moving away from the legalistic system. I mean, in, in this world, in this culture at this time, people would come to get clean in the temple. And it, essentially what was happening was this. Since I'm using this walking analogy, I'm just going to run with it. No pun intended. Actually, it was intended. Okay, here we go. So I'm running. I'm running this way after all of my desires. I'm running this way after everything I ever want. And along the way, I know that in order to look the part of a Jew, I have to then be splashed with water real quick. And so I'm being splashed with water saying, this is my baptism. This is how I'm clean. But I'm going to continue pursuing my desires. And John's like, no, 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 no. What are you doing? You're being baptized, but you're never actually turning back to God. You're just continuing after everything you want and doing nothing actually for God. And he's saying, no, no, it's all about walking towards God, being still before God, recognizing that you and I are corrupt, sinful, broken people, and saying, God, I need you. And this is the beginning of this new found, this profound baptism. A baptism that was causing this stir amongst religious leaders of that day. Wait a minute, what's going on? Salvation is being offered to everybody. How is this possible? Well, if we continue, if we continue, we see that John is actually fulfilling prophecy. Let's go back to verse 4. So John's preaching this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah simply being an Old Testament book, going to the first half, or the first three quarters, Isaiah, written hundreds of years prior, hundreds of years prior. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall be come straight, the rough way smooth, and all the people will see God's salvation. 
You see, what, here's what's happening here. John recognizes that there's this legalistic, ritualistic system that is creating all these obstacles from people approaching God. People have to do X, Y, Z in order to approach God, to worship him. And in and, and doing so, after they checked off the to-do list, they then felt so justified. They felt clean within themselves, even though inside they were still dirty, sinful, broken people. There was no transformation of the heart. It was all about behavior modification. And John here is saying, no, 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 no. Let's remove the obstacles. Let's remove all these hoops making people jump through in order to approach God. And we're going to do what this prophet what this prophecy is saying. Every valley filled in, every mountain made low, every crooked path, every single person will have the opportunity to accept and to approach the God of our salvation. I mean, think about it. What happens when a, when a valley is filled in and when a mountain is made low, all of a sudden it's flat land. When a crooked path is made straight, all of a sudden we are given this plain, simple opportunity, this invitation to walk right to God for him to change our hearts. This is what John is doing. By removing the area of baptism from the Jerusalem and the temple scene out into the wilderness, he's inviting all people. No longer is this pressure from the religious leaders placed upon the people, but they can come and they can hear the word of God plainly to accept that salvation. And this was for those who were truly seeking freedom. Those who truly wanted to have the pressure taken up. Because up until this point in time, salvation was simply being sold through the law of man. Salvation had become about behavior modification. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, people are experiencing the equality, the grace, the mercy, the freedom to worship God. No longer was it about them fulfilling a to-do list. Because let's be honest, when we, we all do this, we make a to-do list for ourselves, and every time we check something off or cross something off, we feel good about ourselves. We feel justified. We feel accomplished. And this is what was happening with the Jews of this day. As long as they were fulfilling the ritualistic system, doing the to-do list, they felt self-justified. They were imprisoned to themselves, having no true understanding of how broken and sinful and tainted they truly were. And in the midst of their self-justification, they continued walking off the cliff of destruction. And John was coming, no, 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 no. It's no longer about the system of to-dos. And in order to show this, he took him out to the wilderness. But in the midst of this proclamation, in the midst of this supposed good news, how is this good news out here in the wilderness by some crazy guy wearing, wearing fur and eating locusts? But that's what John was doing. How in the world is this good news? And even more so, if we continue, starting in verse 7, we're even more confused how in the world this is good news. And John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. <laughs> this is good news. Don't forget about this. This is, this is really good news that John is declaring to the people. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with, with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Abraham was the chief the chief patriarch of the Israelite family, the Jewish family, going back thousands of years. This is who Abraham was. He was the founder, the original that God had originally called. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Essentially saying, look, your status that you're clinging on to, it's worthless without repentance. 
I can raise up children for, uh, of Abraham like left and right, dime a dozen. Worthless if you're not living for God. Verse 9, the axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So let's go back to the brood of vipers. John is supposed to be inviting people to come be baptized. And in the midst of people coming to the Jordan River to be baptized, he's insulting them. Saying, you brood of vipers. Now let's think about this. Viper, snake, snake, serpent. All of a sudden, within Jewish context, we then have this understanding. Whoa, this is not just a simple insult. He, called, he could have called him any name. Any name in the book. And yet he specifically chose you brood, you children, you birth of vipers, snakes. And in Jewish context, they would immediately recognize, wait a minute, a viper, a snake. Well, it was the serpent that deceived Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. John had intentionally chose the one creature in all of creation to call these people out for their lives. You see, this would have been the chief insult of insults. Anybody who knew the Bible back then would have immediately recognized, you are calling me the spawn of the serpent. You brood of vipers. And immediately, we immediately start questioning, like, come on, man, that, that's just mean. Why do you have to say that? What we begin to realize is that in the midst of this hard truth, in the midst of what we believe to be this incredible insult, John isn't being mean. He is, in fact, being the most loving. Because he's calling the Israelites out for who they were. Their identity. He was showing them where they were going. He was showing them, look, if you continue to walk down this path, you will be no different than the serpent himself. Let's think about what the serpent was doing in the Garden of Eden. His one intention was to, was to deceive. He goes to Eve and says, look, you eat of this fruit of the tree, you're going to become like God himself. The whole world will be, you will be the center of your own universe. It'll be fantastic. It'll be great. And Satan takes the words of God and he twists them and he makes them sound like truth. And he allows Eve to believe that she's going to become the greatest thing in the world. And all of a sudden, John is saying to the Israelites around him, you are no different than the serpent himself. Why? We have to understand this. Because in the midst of the people checking off the to-do list, doing everything that they believe in the midst of pursuing their desires, they are then deceiving themselves and everybody around them. Saying, we are followers of God as long as we do our to-do list. And so in the midst of their self-justification, in the midst of them feeling clean, in the midst of them feeling worthy of worshiping God, they are continuing to walk away from God imprisoned to their own desires and justification, imprisoned to the, what they want out of their own life. And John is saying, look, if you don't repent, if you don't begin to recognize how sinful you actually are, how broken and corrupt you actually are, not only will you continue deceiving everybody around you, but you'll continue deceiving yourself and you will reap the same thing that the serpent you will live the life slithering on the ground, deceiving people and deceiving yourself, and you will find judgment in the same way, in the same way that the serpent will find judgment. And he calls the Israelites out saying, look, 
You might think that you're special because you have this ancestor named Abraham. You might think that you're, you're great and you're high and you're mighty. But I'm telling you right now, this status that you are so clinging to, this status that makes you feel like you're special and honored by God, it means nothing if you are not walking towards God. Experiencing the freedom that he would have for you. Friends, today... I wonder if John was up here, if he too would look out at all of us saying, you brood of vipers. You live a life of deceit. Yeah, you do all of these amazing things. You do all of these things. You do the to-do list. You have everything checked off. And yet you're denying the one thing that I've invited you to to have a living, active relationship with Christ. Friends, today we, we get upset that America is losing its morality. America's, well, it's gone. Everything's gone. We're losing it. We get upset because everyone is, is looking different than us. Friends, today, this was never about behavior modification. You and I, we become so concerned on whether people are looking like us, if they're voting like us, if they're working like us. Man, if they just had a greater work ethic, we, this country would be so much greater. If people would just vote Republican, this country would be so much greater. We get so upset because no one looks like us or acts like us or has the same moral code as us, but we never are concerned if they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And John is looking out to the Israelites saying, you brood of vipers. You want people to look like you, to follow your code, to do everything X, Y, and Z to match what you have in place for them, but you're missing the sole thing, having a relationship with God, our Father. Produce fruit in accordance with repentance. You brood of vipers. Recognize that all of these things you're doing, recognize that these, your work ethic means nothing to atone for your sin. Recognize that your voting record means nothing to atone for your sin. Recognize that if your kids are in the best school or if they're doing X, Y, Z or the sports or the academics, none of it atones for the sin that you hold in your life. It begins with Repentance. Friends, we hate this because we think freedom is found within ourselves. We think we can achieve freedom as long as we are achieving everything we want in this life. And John is saying, no, 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 no. It's not about you. It's all about God. You brood of vipers. This isn't some mean bully insult. This is the most loving thing that John could possibly say, calling them out for the lives that they are living. And friends, it goes beyond just our work ethic or our rituals. It goes beyond just our voting record or where our kids are going. We live in a society where there is a religious imprisonment. We live in a society that says, hey, if you are confirmed, you're good. Did you take First Communion? You're good. Did you get baptized? Did you get baptized as, as an infant or maybe as even an adult? You're good. In that moment, you were saved and you have nothing to worry about. You were a child of God, and yet there is no relationship with Christ. This morning, we're going to be taking communion. 
after I get done talking. Um, we'll get there. Friends, 2023 is the year that we can find true freedom. But it requires us to die to ourselves. Die to our desires and recognize that there is nothing we can do. No, no good action that can actually atone, atone for our sin. But it doesn't go left unanswered. We continue into verse 10. Verse 10 says this. The crowd responds, what should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. I, I, I want to highlight something real quick. These are all tangible action steps that John is then giving to these people. It's important for us to recognize these actions, these actions don't bring salvation. Doing these good deeds don't bring salvation. Doing these good deeds demonstrates one's salvation. It's a result of being saved by God. You see, up until this point in time, to be baptized, to be clean in the Jewish society, it was all about self. I'm clean, so therefore I'm good, and I can keep on pursuing what I want. But John is saying, no, 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 no. This isn't about you. The minute you are baptized, the minute you are, you are claiming this life of repentance, demonstrate it. Stop living this life of deceit. Stop living this life of saying, hey, I'm a follower of God, and then going off and doing your own thing. Begin to live a life that demonstrates that you recognize that God is good, that God is the protector, that God is the one who is going to continue to provide for you. Up until this point in time, people would come, and they would continue, as we read, tax collectors would take more money than they needed. Soldiers would extort money, and they would accuse people falsely for their own, for their own benefit. And John's like, no, 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 no. You've done away with that life. Stop manipulating the circumstance. Stop manipulating the situation and understand that God is good. You no longer have to keep on looking out for number one yourself. But in the midst of repentance, in the midst of recognizing that God is good and that he provides and he will protect, you can begin to live for others. Find those in need. Take care of those in need. Stop worrying only about yourself. And in the midst of doing this, you will live out your relationship with God. My question today is, if somebody from this church were to go to your workplace, to your home, would they see your faith lived out beyond this building? I mean, let's, let's be honest. Let's ask, the, let's ask the upfront question. How many here, how many of us, myself very much included in this question, how many of us do we think that coming to church is our weekly splash of water that we check off the to-do list saying, I'm good now for a week. But the rest of the week, people would be left confused saying, you go where on Sunday mornings? You claim what? No. <laughs> Not, not you. You must mean somewhere else. 
How many of us, in the midst of walking after our own desires, allow church to splash us, and we check it off the to-do list, and we feel self-justified, we feel fulfilled, we feel we're good. And in the same way the Israelites say, we have Abraham as our father, we too say, Napnaz is my church. You know that? Yeah, that church that does all, that, all those great things, that's my church. I'm good. I don't need anything else. How many of us here are continuing to live the life of deceit? These are hard truths, friends. Humbling truths that John is just... He's just shooting arrows at at the people. But here's what I find amazing. In verse 15, verse 15, we recognize, wait a minute, the people aren't receiving this too bad. Verse 15, the people were waiting expectantly. And we're all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. And John answered them all, I baptize with water. But one who is more powerful than I then I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in the hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. In the midst of the brood of viper insult, in the midst of these hard truths, in the, midst of, in the midst of being this crazy man saying, this isn't about you, this is so much greater than you, the people are experiencing freedom. In the midst of John showing and demonstrating, this is where you're headed, they're saying, whoa, we don't want to walk off the cliff. We want to experience the freedom you're talking about. And John is saying, though, if you do not, if you continue to live in your own sin, focused on nothing but yourself, you will experiencing, you will begin to experience a fire by one who is far more powerful than I. But this fire that you will experience, friends, this fire is of our own choosing. Friends, so often we think, well, how, how can God be a loving God if, if he just sends people to hell? That's not very loving, friends. It's not that God is sending people to hell. It's that you and I, humans, we choose to reject God and we walk ourselves right into hell. We've been talking about throughout the series that God closes doors. No, he doesn't close doors. We close doors on God. And if God is closing a door, it's because we were never walking down the path that he wanted for us in the first place. Does God send people to hell? Yes, he does. But it's only because we chose to go there. Because when we have the two options presented before us saying God's freedom or my own greed, manipulation, power-hungry nature, we choose this way and God's like, look, you know the consequences. Hell. But you chose that. And God does not force himself upon us. He gives us our every heart's desire. He's like, you want everything in this world? You want everything to go your way? You want everything to go perfectly that you deem to be freedom giving? Fine, I'll give it to you. God isn't not loving because he lets us go that way. God is loving because he's doing everything he can to keep us from going down that path. When we begin to find freedom and from ourselves through repentance as offered by God. 
And John's like, no, 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 no. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. If you think I'm good, just wait. There is someone coming that not even I am worthy to untie their sandals. And this is the good news. So we continue then. We continue, and it says this in verse 18. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But not everyone saw it as good news. Not everyone received this identity, this insult, this calling out of their life. Here's what we read, verse 19. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, his brother's wife, in case we're not understanding, he is committing adultery with the wife of his brother. He took his brother's wife and said, nope, she's mine. So this is, this is the sin that John is calling out Herod for. And all the other evil deeds he had done, Herod added this to them all. And what did he do? He locked John up in prison. Friends, today, many of us, if not all of us, myself very much included, please do not hear me isolating myself, all of us in some form or fashion either are or have been Herods in our life. Hearing truth, hearing freedom, hearing you brood of vipers, you sinful beings, and we immediately get defensive. And we immediately start to think to ourselves, no, 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 I got this under control. I don't need you calling me out for the life that I know is right for me. I very much am guilty of this, believe me. You can ask my sister-in-law. She'll call me out every chance she gets for the sin of my life, and I immediately get defensive. You don't know anything. When in fact, she knows more than I give her credit for. Friends, we are all Herods in this world. And each and every opportunity that we have a John in our life, we have an opportunity. Are we going to repent from that sin, recognizing God, God forgive me? Or will we take a step back and try to defend our honor when it was never meant to be the focus? Will we start throwing swords and spears and flaming arrows at the person who is trying to prevent us from experiencing that ourselves? We have these two options before us in the year of 2023. When we read scripture, we will get bored, we will get discouraged, we will not understand everything. It's just the case. My challenge to you, friends, if a baby, if a baby reserved their right to speak simply based on if they could understand why it was happening, they would never speak. If they said, I'm not going to continue walking because I don't understand how it actually works or why it works, they would never walk. Friends, you and I, regardless of where we are in our faith, we are all babies to a certain extent, trying to pursue God. We're not going to understand everything. We're not always going to have the best feeling. And yet, we are still called to be obedient. As God the Father holds our hand and says, take the next step, take the next step, take the next step. Be obedient, and I will be there. Worship band, come on up. Friends, today we're going to take communion. And I think this is so appropriate. As we take communion with the few, the proud, the ones who braved the 9 a.m. service. And I would encourage you to reflect, to think about, to begin to question, what is the sin in your 
life. Because friends, I'm telling you here right now, whoever you are, whatever you're doing, myself included, Rob, you're included in this. My dad, you're included in this. Who else can I call out? We are sinners. And each and every day, each and every day, we are called to do one thing. We are called to respond and rely on our Heavenly Father. And so we're going to take communion. We're going to walk through this. And guess what? We're going to do the Lord's Prayer afterwards. I know many of you are wondering, oh, we'll see what happens there. We're going to do the Lord's Prayer afterwards. And friends, this Lord's Prayer, I, I'll be honest with you, it's, it's a daily habit in my life. I, I try to make it a daily habit, not to toot my own horn, because, but because I recognize I need God. In this, in this prayer, we see this pattern. Because part of the prayer says, give us today our daily bread. Will 2023 be the year that each and every day, each and every day, we say, God, give us our daily bread. I need you today. Not for tomorrow, not for this entire week, but for today. Forget the day, weekly splash of church. God, I need you today. And so before we take communion, I'm gonna pray take a moment of meditation and reflection because this time communion it's meant for the believer who has a heart pursuing God and everything that he would have for us the freedom that he would have for us so father we love you and we praise you and you've given us this gift of repentance for which we say, hallowed be your name. God, would you cleanse our hearts? Would you show us your grace and give us the courage to persevere and pursue after you? Father, move in our lives through your spirit and show us your son in whom we have forgiveness of sins and freedom. Father, we love you and we praise you. And in Jesus' name that we pray. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.